0: Thank you. welcome to Shuffle Buddies. My name's Chris Heine and Casey is not actually here today. She has taken advantage of this new work-from-home reality that we live in to take a few weeks to work from sunny California and escape the endless cold and darkness that is a Minnesota winter. In the meantime, I've been playing tons of games and keeping myself busy teaching my class at MCAD, but I did want to take this opportunity to um, try out a new format I've been thinking about, On the show, we talk about a lot of different games, movies, TV, all that kind of stuff. But just due to time and trying to keep the episodes tight and compact, we don't always get to talk about all the things we want to talk. And there's a lot that kind of falls to the cutting room floor as we just decide to move on and, you know, kind of get to the main review or get to the main topic. And there's definitely a few things that I've wanted to revisit too, but, you know, the march of time just keeps happening and new things come up, so I thought maybe I would occasionally do these episodes where it's just just me talking about one specific thing. I thought I would call these episodes a deck of one. So if you're looking for the uh, joyous and effervescent personality of Casey Siegman, then this isn't the episode for you, sorry. We will still be putting out regular Shuffle Buddies episodes with as much frequency as before. It's just now I might have this opportunity to do these one-offs now and then whenever I really feel like Like there's something that I want to tackle or discuss that we just didn't have time to on the regular show. So throughout my gaming life for lack of a better word, solo games have always kind of been a passion of mine and something that I've really appreciated and that I have always made a part of my gaming diet, I guess. And with the last few years, the number of games that incorporate solo content or include um, ways to play just by yourself has just like really skyrocketed. So it's a really great time to play in that space. And so I thought that might be a great place to start this series and just talk about some of the solo gaming experiences that I've had and some of the games that I really like and kind of approach it from that perspective. Who knows where it will go from here, but I thought that was the perfect place to start. And today I'm actually going to talk about a game that doesn't include an official solo mode oddly enough and that game is the king is dead second edition but before we get to that i just wanted to talk a little bit about elden ring the last episode i believe we recorded the night that elden ring was releasing and if you followed the show or know me at all you know that dark souls and the souls games in general are a huge part of my video game life and so i've been waiting for this game a really long time And I have since been able to play quite a bit of it, actually. I mean, since Casey's been out of town, I've been spending a lot of my nights just exploring the world and um, diving into that game as much as possible. And I don't need to go into great depth about it. In fact, I'd like to on a future episode with a new shuffle buddy, perhaps. Um, But until then, I just wanted to kind of give you my first impressions. And that is, it's awesome. It's awesome. It is really great. It's probably the best From Software game that From Software has ever made. It tackles so much and does it so well that it's, it's, it's actually really, really impressive. That being said, it has yet to convince me that it's going to be my favorite From Software game, and that's really just due to how new and different and interesting and well done some of their earlier games have been. Demon's Souls, Dark Souls, Bloodborne, all of those games have a really special place in my heart. And as I've been playing Elden Ring in this giant open, go anywhere, do anything, um, find interesting content tucked in every single corner of the map, it is all really solid and it is really quality content. And it is a step up from some of their more recent offerings. I I have gone on record as not being a huge fan of Dark Souls 3. And I think that this is addressing a lot of the problems that I had with Dark Souls 3 in a really positive way. So that's like, my immediate impression is just relief for that. But there's really something to be said for a tight contained experience that you can return to. And I think the same can be said with, you know, movies or books where, you know, these giant sprawling epics might be amazing and and really special, but there's something to be said for just a really tight, small experience, which I think the other games might in the end be a better case of where the Dark Souls games, all of them are games I return to again and again. And this one, although I'm excited to do a second playthrough, it is hard for me to imagine at this point experiencing the sense of kind of mastery and comfort that another run through a place like the original Dark Souls has for me. It's just such a larger experience that the highs are really high, but there is that meandering open world feel where it doesn't feel quite as tight. There are areas that definitely feel tight or tighter than past FromSoft games, but it also does have that thing where you're out in the fields kind of collecting resources and and it's not super meaningful from a gameplay perspective. So, I think it will be in the upper echelon for sure of my FromSoft games and who knows, it might be my favorite by the time all is said and done, but at this point it doesn't really matter. I'm just having a great time taking my time i've been playing a ton of it i've been doing it totally radio silent as far as like looking up guides or looking at what the conversation is around dark souls so i'm really having that experience of going into this world and and struggling and figuring things out and um finding the unique and weird and wondering if i'm alone in that um the one thing I am doing is I am not going radio silent when it comes to podcasts. So if any of my favorite podcasts discuss Elden Ring, I'm not going to turn it off. I actually, I kind of consider those like conversations I have with my friends where um, that is the kind of insight that I do want. And I, I welcome, I think these from games have always had that school playground sensibility of like, did you see this? Did you know that, you know, it's almost these playground myths that like the warp whistle and Mario that, that are almost unbelievable. And you're kind of just like sharing these experiences and say, did you see this or did you see that? And it's not so much as a, as a guide or walkthrough, it's just kind of like sharing revelations and, and, sharing, and sharing new information and, and just kind of taking joy in that. So I definitely am not depriving myself of that, but for now I am uh, stumbling through the world, uh, doing my best to stay alive. And I've tackled a lot of it so far and it's been awesome. Yeah, and I've just been having an amazing time with this game and i am hoping i have a ton left from what i understand i probably i probably do for those who want to know i have i have defeated a couple shard bearers but i have a ways to go anyway that's elden ring super pumped to be playing that i hope to be playing it for months to come really it's been so long since I've had a fresh original FromSoft game. The Demon Souls remake was great, but I already knew exactly what to expect from that game for the most part. So this just feels special in a way that only happens once in a great while. Alright, so with Elden Ring out of the way, let's talk about The King is Dead 2nd Edition, which is designed by Pierre Sylvester, with art by Benoit Billion, and published by Osprey Games. So first off, The King is Dead is a game of political upheaval in medieval Britain. And during the game, players are going to be manipulating the balance of power between the English, the Welsh, and the Scottish across eight different regions, across eight regions of Britain, while also trying to gain influence with those factions. To give you an idea of how it plays, the game is played on a map divided into eight regions, and each region is randomly seeded with these follower cubes from the three factions that I mentioned. At the start of the game, eight region cards are going to be dealt, and that's going to determine the order in which each region is going to resolve a power struggle and permanently decide which faction it supports for the rest of the game. Each player themselves is going to get an identical hand of eight cards and two random follower cubes that they're going to keep in front of them, which is called their court. The gameplay itself is exceedingly simple. On your turn, you can either play a card from your hand or pass. If you play a card, you perform the action on that card, and these are just really simple actions that are usually going to add a few follower cubes to the board or switch follower cubes around between a couple of regions on the map. Whatever happens, after the action is resolved, that player takes one follower cube from anywhere on the map and adds it to their court in front of them, and that's it. You can take any amount of actions you'd like in a round, and if you pass, you can decide to take more actions after an opponent's turn. But once all players have passed in succession, a round is going to end, and you resolve a power struggle in the region indicated by the current region card. And power struggles themselves are simple. If one of the factions has more follower cubes in a region than any other faction, it claims the region with a control disk. If no faction had a majority, then a French control disk is placed instead. The game can end in one of two ways, with a coronation or with an invasion. A coronation is going to occur after eight rounds are completed, and the faction with the most controlled regions is going to be declared the dominant faction, and the player with the most follower cubes of that faction wins the game. However, if at any point during the game a third French Invasion disc is placed due to ties in a region, the game immediately ends in an invasion. When this happens, the player with the most complete sets of all three follower colors is going to win the game. And that's it. So. When I first picked up The King is Dead 2nd Edition, I played it with a few friends, and I did think it was an incredibly clever and constrained design, um, but I didn't love it. I think with the players I was playing with, they were looking for more decisive battles, more obvious winners, more of a feeling of making a lot of progress. But what I've discovered as I've gone on is this just really isn't that kind of game. This is a game of ever so slightly manipulating the odds in your favor or moving people into already hopeless situations just to get their cubes off the board. It really is a game that feels a little bit more like intrigue and subtly shifting the tides of battle instead of making decisive plays as like a commander. Not only that, I've come to really appreciate that this is a game of ties. It's not about being the decisive winner and I have all the points and you have none of them. It's about being in the most advantageous place when the game ends and that usually is playing for tiebreakers so you you want to win by an obvious victory but oftentimes it's really going to come down to the first or second tiebreaker to really decide the victory and it's knowing what those tiebreakers are and really like leaning into those as part of your strategy so one revelation I recently had is that it actually reminds me a lot of another game I love and that is PAX Premier second edition And in some ways, I I could almost see this game as reskinned as kind of a micro-game PAX game. Although I think one of the main themes behind a PAX game is this market of cards that you buy from, which this game definitely doesn't have. But it reminds me a lot specifically of PAX Premier because in that game as well, there are three factions on the map who are competing um, for territory control and for influence over this region. And you aren't any of them you are working behind the scenes to gain favor with whoever comes out on top and you can change that in several ways you can gain more favor with whoever's the obvious winner or if you don't have favor with the obvious winner you can do things on the map to make them become less of the obvious winner and hopefully one of the losers and then everyone who invested time gaining favor with this mighty faction will have wasted that time and that will have given you the chance to to come out with a surprise victory. And so in that way, it does feel like a sneakier game. It feels like a slightly more social game. It feels like often not playing is as powerful or more powerful as playing a card. It's almost a game of chicken to see who can hold out the longest or make the fewest decisions that are going to impact the board and still come out on top. And everyone has perfect information about the cards people can play, the cubes that are on the board, the cubes that can be still added to the board. It's just such a clever, simple system that comes together in such an interesting way. Now, this is the first episode where I'm doing this deck of one, and so I haven't talked at all about playing this game solo. And in fact, this game doesn't have any solo rules included at all. But if anybody is a solo gamer, they probably have heard of the name Ricky Royal because he is a giant in the niche industry that is a solo game. And he designed a solo variant for The King is Dead And recently I I downloaded it and I finally gave it a try. And in some ways it kind of unlocked the game for me. I mentioned that I played it with people before and it's, it's a game that everyone thinks is interesting, but no one was dying to play again because they just didn't like this feeling of kind of like arranging chairs on the Titanic while other players were doing the same. It just wasn't giving them the feeling that they were hoping for. And I totally get that. It is almost a frustrating game of of not having a million levers of how you can manipulate the board and just trying to figure out the exact moments you can manipulate the board and the exact moments to strike. And when you're playing against another opponent, it does feel very much like a tit-for-tat tug-of-war sometimes. When you play it with the solo variant, it turns that kind of like frustratingness into kind of this deliciously difficult puzzle instead of poking at your friend. And so I've just really appreciated that I now have this option to bring this game to the table just by myself and still make all of those decisions in very much the same way I do in a multiplayer game. But because it's just me, I can get it to the table, I can get it played, and I can be done with it really quickly. Uh, I think most of the playtime from this game is really the thinkiness of everyone's turn and hemming and hawing before they play a card. And obviously, when you're playing it solo, you're the only one doing that. So let me explain how this works a little bit. To play this variant, you don't need to download anything except for the new rule set. No extra components are needed. And the only true change to the rules, and this is an incredibly important one and a really smart decision, is that the French Invasion changes how the game ends. Normally, when the French Invasion happens, you compare how many sets of cubes you have, and whoever has the most complete sets of cubes is going to win the game. In the solo variant... The French invasion is an immediate loss for you, the player. And so this is how the AI is going to really exploit your weaknesses. And I said before that this game is a game of playing for ties. And I think I really saw this come to life in the solo mode where the AI or the the opponent that you're playing against really is just trying to push for ties as hard as possible. Because every time they make a tie, the French are going to invade. If the French invade three times, that's it, game over for you. So while you're trying to manipulate and gain favor in certain factions, the AI is just trying to make as many ties as possible. The other way it changes the game is instead of going back and forth taking actions, you just take as many as you want, and when you're done, you are done. At that point, you reveal one card from the AI's deck, and they are going to resolve it according to this simple little AI chart. They're going to do the same actions that are available in the game, and they're just going to do it any way they can to basically create ties in the current region being contested or set themselves up advantageously to do so on the next region that's gonna be contested on the next round. Again, they have two levers to do this. They can add or move cubes around the board depending on the card that they draw and they can take one off just like you take one off at the end of your turn. So on your turn, you're trying to decide, is it possible for me to get any of the factions to a point where they can definitely win no matter what type of card the AI draws? And if so, am I happy with that faction winning? Or is it likely that the AI is going to be able to brute force a tie in this situation? And I should really just not worry about this region and start focusing on future regions. It's a really tricky puzzle, and it does require a few moments of saying, okay, this is where I need to push. This is my one opportunity to really get something done. Because it's amazing how powerful, even with the simple actions that are available to you, How powerful the AI can really be at stopping what you're trying to do. In this really simple game, I have had moments of almost that stand-up dice roll of saying like, okay, if this card is blank, I am going to win the game. Or I need it to be anything but this card. Please don't let it be this card. Revealing the card and then throwing my hands up in the air because I got the exact card that will ruin everything I created. It does feel like playing another person. It is somebody that I'm, I'm cursing their name under my breath. Obviously it's not the same game as the multiplayer game and the multiplayer game is great. And I think I want to introduce it to more people, but kind of set up ahead of time that like say, Hey, this is a game about managing power and just making things go in your favor. It's a game about subterfuge. It's about whispering in the ear of power instead of being that power yourself. But I'm also happy to have this little puzzle that, I don't remember if I said specifically, but once you know how to play it and once you know how to run this simple AI, it's like a 15-minute puzzle. It's a very quick game. You can just play it, lose, set it up, play again, and run it again. And it's it's just a really intriguing way to play this game. That being said, I think earlier I said I'll have a stand-up moment where I'm like, this is what I need to win. That's not true. I've never actually won. It is a very hard solo mode, which I think is great for a solo mode, especially a really quick one. Um, You can try again and again. I've gotten really, really close. And again, when I play my absolute best, I am playing for those ties. I am keeping that game going all the way to the end. And then it has come down to the second or third tiebreaker between me and the AI. And I see places I could improve. It feels doable. Ricky actually has a recommendation to just play with one more French invasion disc, which actually the first edition of the King of Dead had. So it's actually just makes it a little bit easier because you can kind of have one more tie before you end the game in an outright loss. I haven't even tried that yet. I feel like it's doable with the three French invasions, but it is just tough as nails hard. So yeah, I think that the King is dead solo rules that Ricky Royal developed was able to get this game to the table again and again for me. Uh, Where I just kind of didn't have that opportunity before. And it's made me appreciate it in a way that I'm going to make it hit the table more with other players because I'm more confident that it is an amazing game, it just needs to be approached with the right attitude to be appreciated. Speaking of being appreciated, I didn't even mention one of the reasons I love The King is Dead 2nd Edition is the way that the production is handled. Osprey Games is a publisher that I really like. They do productions that I really appreciate from a component and graphic standpoint. They are usually pretty elegantly designed. They are usually a little understated. They have really nice components, but they're not ostentatious. The King is Dead 2nd Edition is set in medieval Britain, and it really leverages that to great effect it has this kind of medieval illuminated manuscript presentation that I find just absolutely charming it feels like the drawings feel of the time like I said it did have an artist but I'm not sure if that artist was repurposing existing artwork from that period or drawing it originally from whole cloth either way they did an amazing job of just making it feel truly authentic but not old if that makes sense it just is a really nice cohesive package that feels almost like a relic that could have been something from that era. That aesthetic reason is actually probably the reason it stayed in my collection. Because even though I said the first plays of it I had were a little lukewarm, I've kept it around because every time I look at it, I'm just like, man, I just like how this looks. I just really liked to have this on my shelf. And so I'm happy that rediscovering it and finding a new way to appreciate it has, has been able to make it go from something that I think is an interesting novelty to something that I think is a really a really important part of my collection. All right, so this has already gone way longer than I had expected this to go, so I'm going to wrap it up here. If you are interested in playing The King is Dead or a lot of other games in their solo mode, Ricky Royal has a whole section of solo variants on his website, which is boxofdelights.net. So if you're interested in that, go check those out because he does great work. He also has a YouTube channel, which is great if you're interested in solo content. He does playthroughs. He does um, development videos that he kind of shows you how his solo variants are working as he's developing them. He does all sorts of great stuff. He is a great person to follow if you're not following him. And speaking earlier of Pax Premier, he did the solo variant specifically for that game, which Cole Whirly included in that second edition of that game. And I think Osprey Games should take a cue from that and include ricky royals solo variant of the king is dead second edition in the third edition of the king is dead because it doesn't add any extra overhead in terms of components you need to add or anything like that it would be one more page in the rule book it is a single page of rules um and it would just give so much more value to this game it plays great at one it plays great at two it plays great at three i haven't played at four which it becomes a team game um might be interested to do that I'm not entirely sure and I think the solo mode is probably more appealing to a lot of people than that two-player team-based mode so if you haven't go follow Ricky Royal Box of Delights he makes a lot of amazing content and uh, everything he does I'm interested in hearing about all right that was a deck of one the King is Dead second edition if you enjoyed hearing this and want to hear more of these little dispatches like this let me know If you didn't enjoy it and don't want to hear it, also, I guess, let me know. Um, Depending on the feedback, it might determine how often I might consider doing something like this. It is hard not to have another personality to bounce ideas off of and discuss with, but I would like to get content out a little bit more regularly, and this might be an option to do that. So let me know what you think. You can do so in various places. If you're on Twitter.com, our username is shuffle__buddies. If you're on Instagram, our username is shuffle__buddies__pod. You can email us directly at shufflebuddiespodcast at gmail.com. You can send me a geek mail on BoardGameGeek. I'm the user TeenWolfDude. Or you can go to our Shuffle Buddies guild on BoardGameGeek, which is boardgamegeek.com slash guild slash 3836. And that's all I have for you today. Casey will be back for our next episode, and I might even have a few other buddies coming on as well soon. So we'll see how that goes. But until then, I will shuffle back to the world of Elden Ring. Shuffle, 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 shuffle.